Wow, thank you. It is so good to be back to the woodlands after a couple of years of the world being shut down. I haven't been down here lately. Um, this is kind of my home church in Texas when I'm here. So love seeing all of you uh, out today. I want to start with a line from one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite uh, bands called Switchfoot. And they sang, you were meant to live for so much more. And I don't know about you, I just every time I hear that lyric, something stirs in me. You're meant for more than what you've experienced. And, you know, I want to first apply this for any of you who uh, maybe haven't trusted in Christ yet. Maybe you're kind of here as a visitor, or you've been coming for a while, and you're, you know, investigating, you're kind of looking at the Christian faith, you're trying to figure out... Is this, does this make sense? Is it a way to live? Is it for you? And I just want to say you're meant for us so much more uh, by knowing Christ, by knowing his forgiveness, and not just being forgiven, but being you know, called into his purposes to be living for you know, ser- serving him and for building his kingdom. Uh, so if you don't know him yet, I hope you'll come to know him today or this week. I mean, what a great week leading up to Easter to come to know him and live for so much more than you have been living. But I want to especially focus that message to most of us here who are believers. We're, we're followers of Christ already. And yet, uh, it's so easy, if we're honest, to kind of get routine in our Christian life. Uh, kind of become, you know, it's a habit. It, it, you kind of get used to it. And it sort of can become mechanical. And it's not a bad thing. It's just not an adventurous thing. And I just want to say, if that's you, if you can relate to that as a Christian, I just want to quote the line one more time. You were meant to live for so much more than just going to church, being a you know, follower of Jesus, uh, being a good citizen, being a good neighbor. You were put on this planet for a purpose, and the central purpose, and Jesus made it very clear, is to go and do what he did to reach, and as he said about his own life, to seek and to save that which is lost. And then Jesus, as he was leaving, he said, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And you'll remember that famous uh, place where it talks about it in the very last few verses in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 28, where Jesus, he's about ready to ascend back to heaven. And he looks in the eyes of his disciples, and through their eyes, he looks into our eyes, to all of us who are followers of Christ throughout the ages. And he says, go, get out into your world. Reach out of your circle. Get out of your circle of safety of, you know, this holy huddle of believers you hang out with all the time and reach out to the people outside my family. Reach out to your neighbors, coworkers, relatives, classmates, people who don't know me and reach them. Help turn them into disciples of mine like you have become. Make disciples, he said, and then teach them, grow them up, you know, bring them to the church, get them baptized, do all of those things. But he was talking to all of us as believers when he said, go into your world. You know, so when I say we're made to live for so much more, that's what will put adventure back in your Christian life. If you get aligned with the central purpose that Jesus gave us. 
I want to put up another verse that uh, Jesus also said around that same time. Uh, it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he just declares you know, to all of us, he says, you will be my witnesses. Uh, you know, this is why I'm leaving you on the planet. I don't know if you've thought about this. Most of what we do as believers here on earth, we'll do for all of eternity in heaven. You know, we'll worship. I love great worship, but we're, the bands in heaven, I, I think, are going to be incredible, right? Um, maybe the same players just turbocharged. I don't, I don't know how it works yet. But we're going to worship for all of eternity. And, you know, I love fellowship. I love hanging out with uh, fellow believers and growing together. We're going to fellowship for all of eternity. I love studying God's word and learning and growing deeper. But we're going to do that. We're going to continue to learn and grow and expand our, our knowledge and our understanding of God and his word and his will throughout eternity. But there's one thing that God calls us to do that we can't do in eternity. We can only do right now, like this week, like this life. And then the, the trumpet's going to blow and it's over. And that's reach our friends who are dying to know our Savior. Uh, to be his witnesses in our world, starting in our own little circle and then spreading out from there. So that's our central purpose. And you were made to live for so much more. You were made to live as what I refer to as a contagious Christian, a, to have a contagious faith that spreads to the people around you. And I, you know, I released this new book called Contagious Faith, and people are going, are you sure you want to call it Contagious Faith? You know, right in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. And what I say to them is, you know, look, one thing we've learned through a pandemic is contagious things spread quickly, right? I remember when this whole pandemic started, it's like, well, you know, our country's safe so far. There's only three people in, you know, California or somewhere that have it. Oh, oh whoops, now it's 30. Whoops, now it's 3,000. And it's here, 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 and, and it's just taking off. Contagious things spread quickly, and there's bad contagious, but there's good contagious. You know, there's contagious enthusiasm. There's contagious laughter. You know, there's, there's good contagious things, and I can't think of anything better than contagious faith in Christ that needs to spread quickly. We have a world dying for the truth, and, and we have a world dying. And I think, again, the pandemic has taught our culture something, and that is life is short. Death is real, and when we say we are sinners who need a Savior, I think there ought to be more urgency to that now than ever, because I think our culture is realizing, you know, this, this life is tenuous, and it can be very short, and so I want to just remind all of us today and give you some practical ideas of how you can play this out. But we're here for a reason. God left us on this planet, not just to exist and subsist and get, get through nine to five and kind of do our work and, 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 you know, rest and do it again the next day. He put us here on a mission to reach the people who don't know him. And this is for all of us. I know what you're thinking right now. You're going, yeah, yeah, I know that's important. That's why I'm part of a church that does this. That's why we pay the professionals, you know, it's a good deal for Carrie Shook to do and Lee Strobel and Mark Miller and some of these you know, people. But I'm just an ordinary Christian. Now, this is not my deal. It's not my gift. I'm not good at it. I don't have the training. I, I understand. 
And so let me tell you a story of how I kind of went through something to learn a lesson that I want to share with you. Uh, I, earlier in my faith, had just gotten married. Heidi and I were going to graduate school in Chicago. And I found out about a summer overseas uh, ministry opportunity. It was my first year in grad school. And uh, it was a chance to go overseas somewhere. I grew up in a small town in North Dakota. Most exotic place I'd ever been was Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, so I was like, go somewhere really cool overseas. This sounds awesome. And Heidi thought the same. She grew up in a smaller town than me. She said, yeah, this sounds great. Let's, let's sign up. So we kind of naively signed up for a summer, not really knowing what we're doing. Okay, so we sign up, we find out we're assigned to the south side of London, England, working with a wonderful church and great people there, but we show up, and you know, it's then that I'm kind of going like, what are we going to actually do for these eight weeks? And I meet this team captain who's kind of over the whole project, and I said, what are we going to do? He goes, he's real enthusiastic. He says, oh, it's going to be great. He says, we're going to get up early tomorrow morning, and we're going to go to the neighborhoods around the church, and we're going to knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. It's going to be wonderful. And I don't know about you, but wonderful wasn't the word coming to my mind at that moment. It was like, you know, this sounds intimidating. And, and I felt kind of guilty that it sounded intimidating because, like, I, you know, I love God and I love people and I know they need the gospel. So I'm trying to pretend like this is really cool, but inside I'm going, this doesn't feel like me. And I, I feel really conflicted. And I looked at him and I go, okay, so we're going to do that tomorrow. Like, these are strangers. These aren't people that called the church and asked a question. No, no, no. These are just people out there that, that we're going to go talk to. And I said, we're going to do this all day? He goes, we're going to do it all summer. It's going to be great. And I'm going, oh, man, what have I done? What have I signed up for? Um, picturing all the other things I could have done. But we went out, and I did my best. I put on a you know, brave face and uh, knocked on doors. And honestly, it was tough. <laughs> I wish I could say it. It wasn't that bad. For me, it wasn't that good. Um, we're knocking on doors. And I remember one uh, place we knocked on, the, and I, I'd go up and bravely knock on the door. I remember a woman opened her door about this much, kind of peeked out. She was, what do you want? I'm trying to keep it light. I'm, oh, we don't want anything. We're just from a church over here. We're going around the neighborhood, seeing if people have spiritual questions. And then with kind of an accusatory tone, she said, well, you have an American accent. And again, I'm trying to keep things happy. You know, I, well, what a coincidence. I'm from America. That's, that's so cool, you know? How about let's talk? She goes, no, I don't want to talk. She said, in fact, why don't you go back and pester people in your own country? And I got to admit, at that moment, that sounded like a really good idea. Go back to America. I'll pester people at the Woodlands Church or something. But, um, but I'm telling you, eight weeks, count them, eight weeks, it was tough. But I started to learn something. It was the, the dawning of a lesson that I've now fleshed out in this Contagious Faith book and, and materials that, uh, and in this message that I want to talk about right now. And that was I began to realize that, well, first of all, I wasn't alone. I was with a team and secondly, you know, we could kind of play to our strengths. And, you know, it's like, why am I knocking on the door? I'm the one who hates this the most. Um, 
And here's the deal. I'm with my wife, Heidi, who's this outgoing, you know, vivacious extrovert. I mean, I'm an extrovert, but she's like on steroids, you know. She's really strong. She, she's the kind of person that like on a plane ride somewhere makes a new best friend. Uh, or even on an elevator ride, she gets to know people. I mean, it's just, she, she's super outgoing. She's always striking up conversations with strangers and so on. I thought, what? let her knock on the door. Never mind that she's only five feet tall, you know. I'll hide behind her and let her knock on the door. They'll open the door for her, and then I'll rush in behind her. So it's going to be awesome. And so that's what we started doing, and things got better quickly, um, you know, Instead of people telling me us to go pester people somewhere else, they go, oh, well, oh, yeah, come on in. Well, would you like tea? And it's like, yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, we're sitting there having tea and crumpets. I didn't know what a crumpet was. I, I still don't remember. But um, we're sitting there, and we're getting to know people suddenly. It's like, well, this is an improvement. But then they would sometimes ask some really hard questions. And that was where it just kind of naturally, the baton would Go to me. And, uh, you know, Heidi, she can answer some questions, but this is more my specialization. And uh, she would kind of turn to me and say, well, what do you say about that, Mark? And I go, well, that's a good question. And all of a sudden, I'm kicking into gear and going, I like this part. This is me. And I started to see kind of this division of labor really, you know, made sense. And that was the dawning of something that then was reinforced when after we got through those eight weeks, kind of doing what I just said, we flew back in a, to our church there uh, where we were at at the time in Chicago um, and uh, went to the service. And our pastor preached a message, and it was on evangelism, which I'm, I was still kind of like down on that, right? It's like, this is not for me until he held up a Bible and said, I, I got good news about sharing our faith. He said, you can do it in ways that fit you. In other words, God gave you your personality on purpose. He made you for probably a natural approach that you would like, that would fit you. And so what I want to do is help you discover what that is. And he taught kind of an early rendition of that. What I want to do is give you what's in the Contagious Faith materials. And that is five what I call Contagious Faith styles. And here's what I'm betting. I'm betting you can do at least one of these. All of you. If you're a follower of Christ, I, I bet you can do at least one of these. And a lot of you will say, well, I'm a combination of two or three of them. You know, I'm number one and four. I'm number two and, you know, three or whatever. Um, and we're not trying to limit you to one of these, but we're just trying to say there's an on-ramp to this adventure. You can do something that will feel more natural for you. And if, if you hate walking up to strangers, don't do it. If, if you like that, some of you, by the way, are good at this stuff. Uh, you know, the more direct, hard hit. Well, God bless you. In fact, it was one of you that reached me when I was 19. I celebrate people who have the courage and kind of the emotional makeup to walk up to people and be bold. And that's actually style number five, which I'll get to. But the idea here is you don't have to be someone you're not. You don't have to say, well, unless I have the personality of, you know, Carrie or, or Strobel or, or someone else, I guess I can't do it. I'll just be a spectator. No. The design of God is not for any of us to be spectators, but all of us to be out there in the adventure, on the playing field, making a difference. 
serving God, at reaching out to people in the community. And so let me just step through what these uh, five different contagious faith styles are. And listen actively here. Just be asking yourself on each one of these, is this me? Does this fit me? Is this uh, who I am? And the first one uh, we call the friendship building style. The friendship building style. And if you were listening to my story, you know who fits that. That's my wife, Heidi. Uh, she's a friendship builder on steroids. She's just strong in this area. She's good at it. And uh, if you want a biblical example of this, it was Matthew, the tax collector turned disciple, who wanted to reach his fellow tax collectors. And there's a little interesting verse in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 5.29, where it tells us that Matthew had a, a banquet or like a party at his house probably wealthy, he's a tax collector, right? He's got a nice house. He decides to throw a party and invite both groups, you know, his old group, his new group. He invites the tax collectors he's been working with for years, and he invites his new friends, the disciples, and Jesus. And, he, and they all come, and he mixes it up, and it forms this context for new friendships, new relationships, and deepening spiritual conversations. And some of you are like Matthew. Some of you are like my wife, Heidi. You're just more uh, outgoing. You, 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 know, you like using hospitality. You like, like having people over your home or um, you know, meeting people in a coffee shop or a restaurant. And you build friendships that way. And you know what? God can use that in a powerful way because people are dying for friends. And, you know, after two years of being locked down and isolated and, you know, having masks that keep us from seeing each other smile, people are craving conversations and relationships. And if you think about it, we're all made in the image of the triune God that has had relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity. And God has made us to be, you know, made for community, made for connections, and so I just want to encourage you, if, if you're more of a friendship builder, expand the circle. You know, bring in strays. You know, bring in people who aren't part of the circle. Maybe it, it works. Someone, maybe you have a couple Christian friends and you're in a rut just hanging out with them all the time. Back up a little bit and figure out ways to bring in new people. Do this in the neighborhood. My wife, again, she does, we live in a small town now in Colorado. And God has changed lives through relationships Heidi initiated. And God has used that as the beginning of a process that has led some of them to Christ. So relationships, friendships, neighborhood people, uh, co-workers, uh, classmates, you go to school, don't just hang out with a few safe buddies. Figure out how to broaden those circles and see how God will use that. And by the way, Jesus used this as well. You know, think of that day he was walking along and there's a little guy named Zacchaeus up in the tree. Wee little man was he. You remember that song from Sunday school, don't you, some of you? Well, Jesus looks up and sees this guy and he goes, I'm coming to your house for lunch today. I love it. Jesus invites himself to this guy's house. The guy goes, oh, awesome. That'd be great. They end up having hospitality, friendship, you know, getting to know each other. And by the end of that exchange, this guy is saying, I'm changed. 
I'm going to pay back people. I'm going to be just with the people I've ripped off. I'm going to show compassion of Christ, who I just met, and uh, see what happens there. So um, friendship building is a powerful one. Let me go on to the second example, the selfless serving style. Selfless serving. Uh, Some of us are just made to, to recognize and see needs that the rest of us don't see. And we find joy, or would find joy if we'd practice it more. We'd find joy in serving those needs and, and helping people. Uh, a biblical example of this is um, Tabitha, a woman in Acts chapter 9, who Scripture says she's making article of, articles of clothing for needy people in her community. And you know God's really using this approach and serving people. She was kind of like a first century Mother Teresa, just tangibly helping people to the degree that people would say, if someone loves me like that and she says she's a follower of Jesus, then I'm going to look into Jesus. It, it becomes this powerful argument for a loving God when we love and serve people like Tabitha did. And for you, some of you, this is probably your style. Um, you, you, you see needs. and you, By the way, this is usually kind of behind the scenes. Um, it's not usually on a stage or in front of spotlights or anything like that. It's, it's usually behind the scenes, but you meet needs, and I'm telling you what, you will reach some of the hardest to reach people because you serve them selflessly, and they say there must be a God. Then my encouragement, if this is you, is don't serve silently. I understand sometimes people who are more servant-oriented aren't as verbal, but find ways to give clues for you know, what motivates you. Find ways to point people to the love of the Savior that motivates you. The third example is the story-sharing style. Story-sharing. And by this, I, I'm primarily talking about your story, your testimony, how God has changed your life. And when you articulate that to someone else, they're going, well, maybe I need what you have found. You know, maybe what God did in you, he could do for me. And especially as we learn to kind of tell the parts of our story that are most applicable into the lives of our friends, that makes it more relevant to them. Uh, A biblical example of this one is the blind man in John 9 who Jesus healed. Uh, He was blind. He'd been blind all of his life. And he's sitting by the road begging. Jesus comes along, heals him, and boom, he can see. He's blown away, right? I can see. But before he hardly has a chance to blink, he finds himself on trial in front of a bunch of religious leaders who all of a sudden are peppering him with all these theological questions about Jesus and you know, kind of pressing him, like, who is this man and by what authority is he doing this? And the guy, it's sort of funny, you can almost just see him throw his hands up like, I don't know. You know, give me a break. I just got healed. I can see, you know. And then if you read right in the text there uh, in John 9, he finally just goes, look, here's what I know. I used to be blind. Now I can see. Deal with it. You know, you can argue with my experience. God did a miracle through this man, Jesus. Maybe you should go talk to him. Well, they weren't quite ready for that advice, but he used his experience his story to point you know to the truth and point to the savior and encourage them to incorporate that into their story now if you want a modern example of this uh 
Have you ever listened to Lee Strobel speak? He's constantly saying, now, when I was an atheist, you know, back when I was a newspaper reporter, I worked for the Chicago Tribune, and, I, and, and he'll give those examples, and it's beautiful, because he, he, even though most of us were never atheists, he uses the parts of his experience, his skepticism, his questioning, you know, how do you know this is true? I got to look into it. And we're all like going with him on this journey. And if you've seen, you know, the Case for Christ movie or the Case for Heaven, the new movie, if you've read any of his, his books, the Case series, you know he's constantly referring to his story, his testimony, and then drawing lessons out of it. And for some, we can all tell our story. If you're a follower of Christ, you've got a story to tell. But for some of us, like Lee, this is our main approach. And I would urge you to really develop it and, and think it through. And in the book, I give some, you know, kind of a simple outline that you can develop your story so you can talk about it in plain English without getting all weird sounding, okay? Um, but tell your story and tell it in person when you can. Tell it, you know, on social media. Use what you've learned, to help other people learn about the Savior. Uh, the fourth example is the reason-giving style, reason-giving. And uh, this is uh, those of us who uh, love logic and love, you know, to know why we know what we know. You know, what, what, is, what is the evidence that backs it up? Why do, you know, why do we think Christianity is true? Uh, our, our biblical example is Paul. In the passage in Scripture is Acts 17, where you know, he's in uh, Athens, Greece, standing on Mars Hill, defending his faith and presenting the message. And he very logically lays out the truth to a bunch of philosophers. And God uses this, because these are thinker types, right? So they're listening to this, and they're going, that, that kind of makes sense. We need to hear more about this. And some of them continue the conversation with Paul. If you read the end of that passage in Acts 17, several of those high-level thinkers in Athens end up giving their lives to Christ. Well, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is my style. Uh, I mentioned, you know, Heidi using her friendship to get the doors open, get us invited into homes. Then people would ask a tough question. <clears throat> that was often my role. And I enjoy it. Some of you have been here at the Woodlands when Lee Strobel and I have done like open mic Q&A sessions up here on stage. And any question someone has about the faith, why we believe what we believe, I'm made for that. And I, I thrive on it. I love it. I'm like a moth to the flame when there's a Muslim in the neighborhood or a, a Mormon who doesn't believe quite what we believe. I love talking to folks and saying, here's why we believe. And I'm not mad at them. You know, if someone's a skeptic or an atheist, I, I can understand how they got there. But I also want to help them understand how they can get somewhere else, how they can live for so much more, and how they were made to know the true Savior. And I love giving reasons and evidence. And some of you are a lot like me, or you're a lot like Paul. You, you're, you're a logical thinking. You, you're someone, you know, we're the obnoxious types, always getting out our phone. I, I want to know, I'm Googling information and uh, stopping a conversation. No, no, let's look this up. I want to know. And, uh, you know, we're made to research. We're made to understand stuff. And God can use that if we help our friends understand that Christianity makes sense. Okay? 
let me just mention as an aside, this is why Lee Strobel and I started the Strobel Center. Uh, it's a training center to help people with this area, especially how to give answers and reasons. And, uh, you know, we have degrees you can get or just certificate courses that are very affordable. But if you want to go deeper with this, uh, we've got all kinds of opportunities. You can look at, the, uh, look at strobelcenter.com online for information. Finally, the fifth example, the fifth style, is what I call the truth-telling style. And yeah, we should all tell the truth, but the truth-teller is like, they're, they're, they're the ones that go that last 10%. You know, they're the ones that, you know, don't let us off the hook. They're the ones that challenge us. They're the ones looking for people sitting on a spiritual fence. And they're going, isn't it getting sore sitting on that stupid fence? You know, when are you going to decide? You know, the, the Old Testament passage says, choose this day who you're going to serve. You know, for me and my family, I'm going to serve the Lord. Well, the, the truth teller goes, you've been choosing the wrong way, and it's not, it doesn't look like it's working for you. Can I urge you to make a decision? Can I urge you to get off that fence? Uh, there's nothing better than knowing Christ, but what's holding you back? Come on, let's, let's move here. They're, they're direct, they're hard-hitting, um, they're decisive, they tend to be pretty bold and confident. And our example in Scripture, if you haven't guessed already, is Peter. Hard-hitting, very direct Peter. And our passage is uh, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, where Peter stands up in front of a bunch of Jewish, uh, thousands of Jewish people, right in the city where Christ had been crucified a few weeks earlier. And he gives them a three-part sermon. Point one, God sent his Messiah. Point two, you killed him. Point three, you're in big trouble. You know, it's like, this is direct. This is truth-telling. And if you read the Acts 2, the whole crowd is like, we know. What do we have to do to be saved? And he's going, I'm so glad you asked. He said, here's the good news. The Savior that you killed came back to life three days later. It's a holiday called Easter. You ought to look into it. And uh, then he says, and here's the other good news. He's not mad. He's willing to forgive you. He, he's full of grace and love. And in fact, he died intentionally to pay for our sins. And he wants us all to know him. So trust him. And if you read the passage, the rest of the story is 3,000 people come to faith that day through Peter's very bold and direct truth-telling style. And again, some of you are that type of person. You don't like small talk. You don't like beating around the bush. You like to get to the point. You like to create action. You like to pull people off fences and get them moving. And God can use that in a powerful way. Well, I'd like to put up, I think we have like five icons that uh, correspond. Yeah, there they are. I'm just curious which of these you think you are. Are you the first one there, the friendship building? Style. How many of you say that's probably my style? Okay, I just want to urge you, broaden the circle of friendship. See what God can do through the relationships you can form with people who don't know Christ yet. Uh, how many of you are the second one? Selfless serving. Okay, I bet there's more of you. Come on. Okay. Serve, you know, serve the church, but don't limit it to serving fellow believers. Serve people who need to be part of the church, who need Christ. And don't serve silently. 
point to the love of God and tell them why you're serving. How many of you are the next one? Storytelling. You, you tell your testimony. Well, you know what? People are dying to know, does it work? Does it make a difference? Is, is following Jesus really any better? You know, the church has gotten a lot of bad publicity. And there's been lots of failures and lots of mistakes and lots of bad examples. You can be the exception and tell your story and talk about the wonderful things that have happened in your life because of knowing the Savior. And that will attract other people. How many are the reason giving? Raise your hands. This is probably the best one, don't you think? Right. <laughs> All right, yeah, this is mine, and I see some of you. Here's my challenge to you. Study up. It's not enough just to say this is kind of my propensity. you got to do your homework and read the books and learn and maybe take some classes and get prepared and keep growing. I, I'm reading and learning every day how to do this one better. And then finally, how many of you are the more you know, direct truth-telling style? Okay. All right, how many have someone next to you going, that he's... Get your hand up. Come on. These are the people, these are the catalysts for change. And again, I celebrate. I'm not one of you. But God used one of you to reach me when I was 19. And so I celebrate you. Now what I want to do is end with kind of a dual challenge and a story. Okay? Here's the dual challenge. I've only scratched the surface here. And I do believe all of us are made for something more, for, for much more alignment with God's purposes, his redemptive campaign to reach our world and build his kingdom. And there are people in your life who don't know Christ who are just maybe a few good conversations with you or maybe some service or maybe some of these other areas I've talked about. And if you would take a few of those steps, God can use you. But to learn more about it, I mentioned this new book uh, that has just come out, uh, and I think we have a picture of it they'll put up. It's called Contagious Faith, and I wrote this for ordinary Christians like us who aren't sure about this whole thing. And I'm telling you, it will inspire and encourage you if you'll read it, and it'll help you know for sure which is probably your top style, maybe a secondary style. And I want to urge you to read this and put it into action because you're going to be on an adventure. And for those of us that are here at the church and at a couple of the other campuses, we've got these books. They're available afterwards. Um, the, we actually are doing a kind of a two-for-one sale today so that it's easy for you to get a copy and to give to someone who might be you know, a fellow believer who would read it with you and you can encourage each other. Please pick it up and read this and apply it so that your faith can become more contagious. You can fulfill that purpose in your life. The second, excuse me, the second part of the challenge is to do what Mark Miller already talked about, and that is, you know, just a small, simple thing you can do this week, Holy Week, and that is invite someone to the service. And here's what's so cool, what I love about this church, is like, well, your friend might be busy at that time. Okay, well then let's give about 24 options. All right, uh, we got all these campuses. We got you can do it online. We got we'll start Friday, and you know we're getting all these options, and we'll give you invitation cards that are easy to use. This is just like an easy on ramp into the adventure of being contagious with your faith, and just take a small risk this week. Invite, and I I'd encourage you to invite recklessly. I mean, invite lots of people. Um, I have friends from churches that their their goal is to fill a row. 
with friends, you know, to go around, pick people up. And by the way, you'll have a lot more success if you pick them up. But bring people next week because they're going to hear the great news about a risen Savior who died for them. And, you know, what a way and to, to see people come to faith. And I'll just remind you, a woman named Leslie invited a guy named Lee to church. And that's how Lee Strobel, you know, it's a lot of how his journey happened, was coming to a church as an atheist, as a skeptic, going, ah, this is a bunch of baloney. But it started getting through. Invite, don't limit who you invite. You don't know who God might reach if you invite him. And then finally, I want to end with a, a story. And this is from my own life when I first came to faith. And the reason I want to tell you the story is I know some of you are still not quite convinced. You're still going, yes, I, I, just, I just don't have the gift. I, I, I don't know enough yet. I, I just, and by the way, Satan's whispering in your ear. He's going, you know, maybe if you read those 30 Christian books on your shelf first, maybe then you'd know something and God could use you, but not now. This is not a good time. Maybe next Easter, uh, maybe you need to get a you know, seminary degree first. Then maybe you know something. That's Satan talking. And what I want to say is, if you know Christ, you've got his Holy Spirit in you. You've got a Bible. If you, you know John 3.16? You're qualified, okay? God sent his son into the world. They, let's go tell people. And here's the story. I was 19. I had just come to Christ. That friend had challenged me. It wasn't fun. I didn't actually like it, but it woke me up spiritually. I gave my life to Christ. And about six or seven weeks later, um, 19 years old, I'm about, it's going to be my first Christmas as a real follower of Christ. And I was part of this Bible study, and a friend from high school named Peggy had started visiting our, our study group. And I kept sensing this nudging of the Holy Spirit talk to Peggy. I'm going, yeah, I, I agree, God, someone should talk to Peggy. No, 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 not someone, you. Mark, I want you to talk to Peggy. I'm going, you know, God, I, haven't, I don't know anything. And it's like, you, go. And I kept sensing this, and I'm arguing with the Holy Spirit. I don't recommend it. I was, just, I was doing it. I just, like, why don't you send a pastor, like an evangelist or, you know, a missionary or something. This is not me. God kept nudging me, talk to Peggy. Well, finally, it's Christmas Day. I already told you, I'm from North Dakota. It's a cold, snowy Christmas, which is just redundant. Um, and I'm driving along, and I see over, walking along the 8th Street Bridge, I see Peggy. And so I, okay, Lord, help me. And I pull over next to her, and I roll down the window. And by the way, literally, we used to roll down windows. I don't know if you remember that. But I rolled down the window. Hey, Peggy, what are you doing? It's freezing out here. She goes, oh, I live close to here and just a little you know, walk here before our Christmas dinner with the family. I said, you got a minute? And she said, sure. And I got out and talked to her. I said, I'm so glad that you're you know, part of our Bible study group and you've been coming. And, and she said, well, you know, it's, it's been good. I, I don't know a lot about spirituality, and you know, but I, I'm making some friends. I feel like I'm learning some stuff. And... And uh, um, she said, I got a Bible. And then she kind of hung her head. She, she felt guilty. And what? And she goes, well, I, I don't know that, you know, God could really do anything with me. I, I stole my Bible from a hotel room. 
And she's just feeling really bad about this. I'm kind of laughing, you know. I absolve thee, you know. It's like, uh, I said, don't worry about it. I said, the Gideons put those in hotel rooms hoping people will steal them. You're forgiven. It's like, don't worry about it. And she goes, okay. And she said, yeah, I went to a Christmas service last night, and it's, it's kind of clicking a little bit. I said, well, you know, it's funny you say that because I've been sensing God leading me which I know sounds weird because we were partying together a few months ago, but God's changed my life recently, and I sense him nudging me to talk to you, and, and here's what I feel like I'm supposed to ask you. Have you ever reached the point yet where you've asked him for his forgiveness and, and received his salvation, you know, or you become his child? I don't know what I said. It was just, I, didn't, I wasn't trained, right? I was just stumbling through this thing. And she looked at me, she goes, no, I've never done that, and no one's ever told me I needed to. Gulp. I'm going, okay, um, you need to, and uh, let me try to explain it. She said, I have to get back to dinner. Maybe we could talk, it's cold out here. Maybe we could talk later. And uh, she said, maybe tonight. And I'm thinking, what better way to use Christmas than to share Christ, right? So I said, sure, I'll come back. So that evening I went back, and we ended up talking for two or three hours. And here's what I want to emphasize. Don't look at me as the guy who's up here speaking or an author or anything like that. I'm a 19-year-old kid. I mean, picture this. It's, it was like right at either late 70s or early 80s. I have long hair. I'm, in fact, why, why, me, why describe it? Let me show you the picture. Here's Peggy and me, okay? Is that not awesome? I mean, don't you feel groovy looking at that? Um, by the way, that is not a mullet on me. That's just long hair, okay? I just want to make that clear. But Peggy was my friend, and I'm just sharing the best I can as a novice. And God showed up. Jesus said, I will be with you always. You know, when we're out doing his mission, his Holy Spirit helps us. And guess what? God took all these different elements, you know, the stolen Bible and the church service and other things she had been hearing, and my conversation with her. And that night, Peggy prayed and gave her life to Jesus Christ. And here's the rest of the story. Yeah, that's good news. Let me give you even better news. Uh, she, she and I both left our uh, hometown. She, I think she went to Minneapolis. I moved to Chicago. We hadn't seen each other. I went back for a class reunion where she wasn't even there, but a mutual friend gave me a, a card and said, have you heard about Peggy? I said, no, is she okay? And she was, okay, she's doing great. She married Wayne, a Christian guy. Uh, she's growing in her faith. And look at this, they gave me a card, and I have a picture of that card. Take a look at this. Peggy and her husband, and now their three kids, were raising support to go overseas to one of the darkest, toughest mission fields on the planet, Papua New Guinea, to work with Wycliffe Bible translators to bring the scriptures and bring the gospel to the other side of the world. And I'm thinking, only God. Think about this. A woman who felt bad for stealing a Bible from a hotel room is now taking the scriptures to the other side of the planet. Is that awesome? And friends, I got to be a part of that. I was just a link in the chain. I was a weak link. I didn't know what I was doing. And my reason for telling you this is to say, if God could use me at that point in my life for something that momentous, 
Just think how he can use you, because most of you know more than I did at that point. And so friends, stretch yourself. Read the book. Get equipped. You know, pray. Look for opportunities. Invite people this week and watch how God can use you and help you develop a contagious faith that reaches others for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all of us that we would take this message seriously and that we would be inspired to take risks for for your sake, for the sake of the gospel, that we would reach out, that we would stretch ourselves, that we would read the information and learn our styles and flourish in them. Lord, turn us all into missionaries, I pray, and use us and make us fruitful. And Father, for anyone listening right now who's more on the pre-conversion Peggy side of the story, and they're going, I didn't know I need to do anything. I pray that right now you'd touch them. And friends, if you're listening and you have not trusted Christ, you can do what Peggy did in a very simple way. Pray to Jesus and say, I need that forgiveness. And I want to be in on this adventure. I want to live for something more. And so right now, just say, Lord, forgive me. Take away my sins. I'm sick of living my own way. I'm sick of sitting on a fence. I want to get in on the adventure. So forgive my sins. Cleanse me and fill me and lead me from this day forward. And friends, if you did that right now, if you prayed that, please let someone here at the church know, or if you're online, click the box and let the folks know. And welcome to the family, because this is the greatest adventure on the planet. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, and I pray all of us would live for what you want us to live for. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.